0: Who are you paying? What are you paying them, and and how are they performing? These are the right questions to start to ask because this is a big amount of money. Captain Integrity Production
1: and the Law Firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national health care, legal, and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, The views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob
2: Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host, And today I am pleased to be interviewing Gail Peace. Uh, Gail is a thought leader with respect to electronic tracking of physician work efforts. And she is the founder of Ludi and uh, Ludi Inc. And I want uh, Gail to introduce herself and also introduce her company.
0: Thank you, Bob. It's certainly a pleasure to be here having followed you for many years and Captain Integrity as well. So yeah, very, very happy to be here. So uh, great introduction. My name is Gail Peace and Ludi is a healthcare technology company that is focused on the relationship between the hospital and the physician. So any contract, we make sure that payment is both calculated, accrued, approved, uh, documented in whatever fashion uh, needs to be made. So that is our entirety of our business is making sure that that relationship stays appropriate and to the contract and is paid appropriately.
2: And I know you have had in-house experience, and I'm sure that some of your thought processes with the forming of Ludi came from that in-house experience. Can you describe what you did in-house?
0: Absolutely, yes. So my job prior to, to starting Ludi. Uh, And we've been in business for 10 years now. We're just celebrating our anniversary this week. Oh,
2: congrats.
0: Thank you. Yeah. So prior, I was the chief development officer for Vanguard Health Systems, and I covered the Chicago market. So I represented four hospitals and put into place a lot of uh, professional service agreements and was responsible for anything to do with growth. So that always involved a physician, a physician group. And what I noticed, Bob, was no matter what kind of agreement we had, co-management deal, medical directorship, employment agreement, somewhere around four to six months, the doctor would start ignoring me and they were angry. They were never getting paid right. They didn't feel like it was transparent. And so I just had the idea that this is not rocket science. We can take the aspects of the contract, code it into software, Make it transparent for everybody and make sure they get paid appropriately and and better yet, save their time, right? Yeah, a- yes, exactly. You're dead dead on. There there was one too many times being deposed on a physician contractual arrangement that I was like, there's just got to be a better way to do this.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, both you and I have had that in-house experience. And I also remember sometimes I would ask a physician that we need to track your hours. And here's a timesheet where they would actually wad it up and throw it in my face and basically say, I do not work at McDonald's. And I said, I totally get that. But from a compliance reason, as well as just You know, pure watching the financial operation of this arrangement, we need to track that work effort. So, you know, based on your experience, uh, what ways are hospitals compensating physicians today?
0: Yeah, well, this is a market that gets more and more complex. So when I started the company, I would say half of the physicians at the hospital were employed and half were independent. And now we're probably closer to 70% being employed, right? So at first pass, I thought when I started the company that when physicians were employed, there'd be less of a need to actually track their time effort. But that's not the case because these employment contracts have multiple Financial components that are stacked together right there's you have a, a a base salary, which is a greater of your productivity or 220,000 you have a medical directorship for 10 hours a month, you have on call coverage where you have to do two shifts but then you're paid anything over the two. And then you might also have some sort of a productivity bonus or even quality bonus on top. So, you know, over the years, um, it's gotten more complex and I think it's going to continue to do that. And so what our software helps do is track all of those financial aspects. So we started with the time tracking component where a doctor had to turn in a time log in order to get paid. And then we moved on to on-call where it might be paid off a schedule where it's not the physician submitting the time, but the hospital. And then we moved on to very large hospital-based PSAs that have some component of a scorecard and a monthly contribution. And now we most recently have launched into the productivity world. So we calculate those uh, payments that I was talking about, the greater of bonuses, or um, if it's some kind of a um, step-up rate that they might get different. Worked RVU bonuses based on the number of worked RVUs and there's thresholds. We can we can manage all that and make it easier on the hospital. So it's more and more complex, I guess I would say. It's not getting exactly. care, right.
2: Yes, and especially with the value-based care uh hitting the market, it's only going to get more complex. Uh, and the differentiation between you know what you what do you have to document from a fair market value perspective versus value care perspective, et cetera. And I know my listeners have uh, you know, listened to some of the other episodes where I was talking about compensation stacking, which you were talking about making sure that we can validate and monitor the various aspects of uh, a physician who is multitasking hopefully not multitasking during the same hour uh, but uh, you know multitasking through the various roles and also just to set the context for the next uh, few questions that i have for you in the previous episodes of stark integrity we talked about why the stark law and fair market value is so important and if everybody would recall that some of the various exceptions for these type of arrangements would be the personal services arrangement or the uh, employment exception or the fair market value exception under the stark law all of them have a fair market value requirement and obviously tracking and computing the hourly rate becomes a, a challenge for organizations so um, Gail, based upon your experience, what challenges do you see that hospitals either have had or are currently experiencing uh, because they're employing so many physicians in the tracking of hours?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a loaded question, Bob. You it. <laughs> I think you nailed it. So um, I think the challenges for each of that, if you take that employment agreement with all of those other financial mechanisms stacked in, you need to look at them in isolation and then in total, right? So I think the biggest challenge today is not, are we within 10 hours a month on the medical director? Are we within the right um, amount on the on-call? But when I add it all together, am I still south of that compensation cap? So I I really see that being, being the challenge because so Many of these things are tracked manually, unfortunately today, and they're in silos of the organization. So the medical director hours might sit in the service line and the people that do the physician comp on the physician employed side, they have no idea what's going on with that, right? That's submitted through the service line, through the CFO, and it's on its way. So making sure all of those dollars expended go toward that cap that you're looking, again, checking your fair market value, not only on each individual line item, but on the total. I think that's really today what the the largest challenge is.
2: Yeah, and I even know when I was in house and I even had one client. I'll give an example, and I, I know this is not going to shock you, but it probably will shock some of our listeners. Uh, but when I they wanted me just to review a certain component it's called the medical directorship, and I said I can't review that in isolation. I need to review it in the aggregate. And uh, so when we finally got in, all of the hours, the various tasks if the physician was actually going to perform everything according to the contract, the physician would have been having to work 100 hours a week. And when I asked the executive, I said, is this physician really working 100 hours a week? They said, no, working an average 40 hours a week, but they were overlapping. So yeah. to your stacking point, so that if somebody was out, was uh, providing uh, call covered services and they were within the belly of the hospital and they were sitting around and waiting. They were for one hour, they, they were accounting for the on-call service as well as the medical director services. They were doing medical director services at the same time. So sometimes you, you, you can't catch that, you know, but for having a, a, a repository of all of the hours connected with that position. So what type of stress does that put on a, a hospital system?
0: Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, the physician relationship is one of the most important partners the hospital has. Right. So I guess my, my, like my, one of my take homes would be don't torture them, make it easier for the physician to give you what you need in order to pay them. And that was, you know, the whole basis I had for starting Ludi was there's gotta be a way when we have to collect hours from them. How do we make it easy? Cause a piece of paper, is not easy. And, you know, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, much less last week, and to ask them to recall what they did through the whole month, throughout the month, and giving them 90 days to submit time is like absolutely crazy. So I would say, you know, really, we have to look at the stresses, this physician relationship, that everybody's overworked, the staffing costs are higher for both, right, nursing and for hospitals. We're coming out of COVID, are we? We, we are coming out of COVID. So Wonder there's help. a lot of stress on all these clinicians. So I guess, you know, as you consider what you might do to shore up compliance, and that's what we're talking about today, with an eye toward being appropriate and being kind to the physicians, that's what this, you know, that's what moving in this direction can do. So I'm always thinking about it from the doctor's perspective. What's easier for them? What's, what, what, makes it, what makes it fast? What makes it appropriate? You know, they, I think physicians in general understand they have to keep track of hours today. I would say 10 years ago, maybe that was kind of news to them, but all of them have gotten the memo. They, they understand they need to keep track of hours. And I'll find in some organizations, some doctors who say it's just not even worth it for me to collect that time and keep track of it, it's not that much money and they don't even turn in their time. And then you've got other physicians who are hitting the maximum, right? The maximum hours each month or each quarter. And so I would ask, is that relationship appropriate? The duties you're paying them for, have you outlined them appropriately? If they're going over the hours, then are they being asked to do too much? So when you run on paper, it's hard to actually analyze any of this data, Bob, and ask these questions. And I think that's what hospitals are starting to do. You know, they woke up overnight and they're running these huge physician enterprises. Doctors are a different kind of employee. Don't call them vendors and put their contract in a vendor management system. They're not vendors. They're your most important partner. They're an employee, right? So how do we treat them with that utmost respect and make sure that we have information about our most important partner, but we're also looking at our physician enterprise? Are we spending money in the right spot? How much are we putting into these medical directorships? Maybe it made sense when we opened the oncology program five years ago. Do we still need 40 hours a month? Orthopedics. You know, Sometimes we'll find a medical directorship of finger, hand, elbow, wrist, right arm, left arm. I don't know, I'm not judging, but you know, at some point in time, are all of those needed? And, and if they are, if there's a legitimate clinical reason, it's hard to ask those questions when things are on paper and hiding in all these silos. So I feel like for the physician enterprise, getting your arms around, who are you paying? What are you paying them? And, and how are they performing? These are the right questions to start to ask, because this is a big amount of money.
2: Yeah, a big amount of money and a large amount of risk. I know, you know, way back when. If we're gonna turn the uh, the clock, as Cher would say, turn back time, back um, to the Kansas City case uh, with the LaHue brothers. Uh, so that was back in the late '90s, early 2000s. And the, the whole issue about that case that erupted was the fact that these uh, doctors were being paid for medical directorships, but there was no documentation that the services were being rendered. So the QETAM were later in that case basically said, well, they're not performing any services and, and really the medical directorship compensation was a guise of a kickback. And so that's what I think your product as well as just tracking of ours is to try to prevent somebody from believing that there's inappropriate financial arrangements going on and to prohibit or to lessen the probability of having a tam uh, person uh, that would uh, bring a case against the system.
0: Absolutely. And you you said it well. So with our compliance glasses on, we think about, is it appropriate? Are we paying it right? Are we documenting it correctly? We can also help support the business side of the house and saying, do we need all these? How many do we have? Are we reviewing them regularly with the leadership team? Are we looking at our service line objectives? Like, is this really matching what our strategy is? Because I think sometimes, Bob, these are historic relationships They may have been put in place with the previous leadership team. If I were the new CEO of a hospital, the first thing I would do would be to take all of my physician contracts and have somebody outside review them. And put them in software and make sure they're getting paid right. Because I want to make sure whatever risk I'm taking on, I've inherited the last team's risk, right? Like maybe those relationships aren't what I want. And, and so you know that um, there is a lot of Stark Law history. There's that Cooper case, remember that one that was also a medical directorship. I think the physicians, it was a cardiology Play and they were receiving like $5,000 a quarter, but there was no documentation. Again, if you're paying a physician and there's no documentation around what you're paying, you should be very nervous. It's 2022. (laughs) (laughs) Time to change that. We've all seen the warnings from the OIG, we've seen, seen the information. But I think, you know, in compliance, we can think more about the business aspects of the hospital too. If we can serve up the data. That helps answer those business questions. Are we employing the right amount of physicians? Are they in the right service lines? Are we in the right markets? You know, you have to have data in order to do that, to answer those tough questions.
2: Yeah, and and should there be a point person in an organization that is monitoring all of this? To your point, Gail, I I think a lot of times these piecemeal or the, the stacking of compensations coming from various areas. And every time when I was in-house, I would ask one executive, I said, well, why do you think in the aggregate this compensation is justifiable? And that person would say, well, I'm not responsible for the call arrangement. I'm only responsible for the medical directorship. But somebody has to be looking at this. Uh, what do you think is the best practice uh, with respect to the, just the overseeing of the, the global uh, compensation arrangement?"
0: That is the million dollar question. That was so nicely worded. So I think this is a challenge. You've hit on a challenge, which I would say is a structural problem in hospitals today. So when we sell our software, for example, we don't know who to call on. Is it the CFO? Is it the CFO of the physician group? Is it the chief compliance officer? Is the chief legal officer? Is it the chief medical officer? all five of those people have some skin in the game. And so what I found the best place for it to probably sit is finance. Because at the end of the day, the payments are going through the finance department and they kind of get stuck when something's wrong, right? So when there's a manual time log and something is wrong, you might look at your rework. We find it's like 60 to 70% rework on those manual processes. So finance deals with that. So I feel like that can be the place. It can be the physician enterprise, Bob, if there's a you know we we found the chief financial officer of the physician enterprise and some of the larger national systems are concerned about this because there's a lot of employed physicians and it's usually embedded in there and then we work with them to say where are the independent doctors now who's watching those and that it gets a little tricky so i feel like the physician enterprise, again, overnight has turned into a big amount of money, and the hospital needs to appoint at a senior level somebody responsible, and that means the employed and the independent, and all of these arrangements, checking in on, do we need them? Is it part of our strategy? Is it paying off for us? And we call this the physician spend. I think it's a largely untapped area, and hospitals have cut costs, cut costs, cut costs, Right. So now they're spending on average $300,000 on being generous, employing each physician. Then you add on your benefits and your bonus and just keep adding those dollars up. You, You need someone to be over that enterprise and thinking about, are we spending our dollars the right way? Who are we employing? And so all of those aspects of you, you described that, that are siloed have to be rolled up somewhere invisible. So they're, you know, luckily there's software that does that. You know, we can help you with the data parts of that, but you have to have the structure and the process at the hospital level. And I think the big ones are doing it. So what some of the large organizations we work with nationals, they might call it physician spend optimization. And typically this will sit either inside the employed physician group or with the CFO of the system. They'll have a little branch that's looking at the hospital side and the employed physician side, like all of those arrangements. And I think those are the ones that are starting to do it well. They're recognizing we need some software. You know, We need our clinical databases. You know, People are using things like Inflow. They're using other software to help make sure they're managing the work to views correctly. Now you need to make sure you're managing your staff right, right?
2: Yep. And when, when I was in health, actually, my administrative assistant was responsible for receiving all the timesheets and going, and, you know, and here we're talking the early 2000s, but going through all those timesheets, validating the timesheets and such. And so, yeah, paper system is, uh, it, it's workable, but it's not optimal. Uh, yeah. So, so. You know,
0: you were asking me when we were preparing about horror stories. So I want to yeah. talk about the paper time logs for one second. Please. You give me for five physicians, pick five physicians, and give me five to ten time logs each, and give me your contracts. I will find a Stark law violation, or three, or ten, because the people that are approving the time logs are not pulling the contract up. Let me give you an example. So large health systems put a little key on their time logs. If you're doing, you know, community outreach, if you're doing um, pathology work, you know, they have all kinds of different little keys. Well, maybe your contract doesn't include community outreach. Does it specify the doctor can submit their time of driving to the community outreach? If they're not even doing community outreach, I think that's a bit of a stretch. So the point is the OIG will find, they will dig through your paper. When they show up at a hospital, what do they ask for? Bring me all the paper. So I think there's so many risks like hidden in there. Even when you think you're doing them well, you're fooling yourself. Because unless you're pulling the contract out and grading it side by side, then this was a position I was in at Vanguard. I had to go back to the doctors and say, these six time logs, I can't pay. You've worded this in a way that's not appropriate. So make it easy. Let them choose their duty and make a note. Don't make them remember what 10 things. They may not have even have ever seen that contract. So a good discussion is, here are the things we're paying you to do the duties attached in the back. So yeah, there's a lot of horror stories around this that have you know sort of evolved over the years. <laughs>
2: yeah, and actually I had one client who called me up and they said that a medical director, one of their responsibilities was quote, education. Well, when they started monitoring the physician, the physician was actually billing them for time when he was working out on a treadmill, reading medical journals. And so the physician thought, "Well, that's medical education, but but the hospital's perspective, no, you're providing education to our employees in the community, so yeah, just right sizing or making sure that the services being contracted with are actually being performed by the physician. The other thing that you raised here, which is very interesting, so in-house counsel attorneys or compliance officers, it's really important for you to understand the internal operations of the finance department because Gail pointed out the difference between W-2 and 1099 physicians. And sometimes the physicians, if your W-2 employees, are paid through the payroll a portion of of finance. And if they're a 1099 independent contractor, it's accounts payable. So it's a two separate processes within the finance department. And you need that kind of a key risk person in order to pull that together.
0: That's right, that's right. And make sure it goes the right place and they all get paid, right?
2: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Gail, we've come to the point in this episode to talk about the the three Captain Integrity punch points. And typically in our episodes, we want to leave our listeners with the kind of the three takeaways from the episode today. So I'd like to, Gail, for you to tell us your three Captain Integrity punch points.
0: Okay, I've got them. The first one is these agreements are getting only more and more complex. Consider automation to help you support that process. The second one is that physicians are your most important partner. Please don't torture them. Make it easy for them to give you what you need in order to pay them. They don't necessarily understand all of our compliance rules and processes, so make it easy. And the third one is that the cost that you're spending on doing these things manually is I've documented about a million dollars per hundred contracts. So it's time to consider some sort of automation to support you in that process.
2: Exactly. Well, great punch points. Gail, can you provide the listeners with your contact information?
0: Absolutely. I am at Gail at Ludi, dot Email me. Want to talk to you or link in. Gail Peace.
2: Sounds great. Well, Gail, thanks a lot for the conversation today.
0: Thank you, Bob.
2: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember, that integrity depends on you and me.